0: Star Wars 7x7, episode 2312. Today, we are going to pursue a couple of dozen tropes and secret references and Easter eggs inside this episode of The Mandalorian. This first episode, season two, episode one, also chapter nine, The Marshall Punch It. Rebel Rouser. I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So we're going to try and go through these as quickly as possible, so that way we can keep this still within <laughs> the reasonable length of the podcast. I'll start off with the planet where the Mandalorian and the child arrive to meet with Gork Koresh. So far, we still don't know what planet that is, and what city that is, anything like that. I was looking at the graffiti for surprises, information, and whatnot. Couldn't really pull a lot of it, but the door by which the Mandalorian enters to where the fights are going on, there is white lettering on one side, and it reads LIFER for some reason, which you know doesn't seem to resonate with anything inside... Star Wars canon that we know about or even legends like the word life or didn't necessarily come up anywhere but might be something to watch for a little bit later perhaps. Secondly, Gore Koresh is an Abyssin which is a character that was first seen in A New Hope in the Cantina scene and they have finally brought one back for another live action appearance. Later on in that scene, when the Mandalorian gets him ziplined and tied up with his little cable, that is actually almost a repeat of what happens in the opening of the very first episode of the Mandalorian, funnily enough, when he does that to a Quarren character and starts dragging him back too. So it's an interesting parallel. And then... Gorkaresh says that he swears on the Gatra, and that line is just treated as a throwaway, where well, the Gatra refers to the Droid Gatra, which is a group that advocates for droid rights, but also is a bit of a scoundrels group to begin with it is a crime syndicate and we actually first hear the droid gotra in canon i believe in most wanted which is the prequel novel to solo a star wars story by ray carson so that's an interesting point to know that the gotra is still active in 10 aby which would be 20 years later something like that also Mando says, in response to hearing that there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine, he said, I've spent much time on Tatooine, and he didn't know of anyone there. That might explain, finally, why it is that the Mandalorian is able to communicate so readily with the Tusken Raiders, and, as we find out in this episode, he's actually able to speak their language. It isn't just sign language that he uses, like he does in Season 1. But that opens up one big question, which we'll get to in a moment. Moving on, and we saw this droid last season as well. But in the Hangar 3-5 on Tatooine, the droid that comes up to show the Mandalorian the map of Tatooine, that is R5-D4. That is the droid that Uncle Owen tried to buy at the very beginning of A New Hope that blew its motivator and apparently is still working now just fine. The town where this supposed Mandalorian is is a town called Mos Pelgo. Mos Pelgo actually first appeared in, oh my gosh, Star Wars the Old Republic, Knights of the Eternal Throne, and that dates back thousands of years. So basically, it was ultimately, you know, wiped out, I guess, and came back as a mining town, and then it was taken over by the mining collective, at least that's how it's told to us in the episode, but in Aftermath, in the novels by Chuck Wendig, it's actually the Red Key Company, which is a front mining company for the Red Key Raiders, which is a criminal group. And sticking with that, then you have, of course, Cobb Vanth, who also appeared in the Aftermath novels, and yesterday we talked about the difference in the story of him getting the armor versus what happened in the Aftermath novels, and it's basically... A similar situation with this Red Key versus the Mining Collective. There's a bit of an alteration in the story there as well, and I'm sure that there will be some clarification made down the line about how those stories can be the same and different, but we just haven't gotten it yet. And another note, Freetown is actually Moss Pelgo. Freetown is the name of the place where Cobb Vanth was acting as a protector in the Aftermath novels, but it has now been renamed to its ancient name, if you will, which is Moss Pelgo. And the Mandalorian's arrival in Moss Pelgo is very western trope related and just to pick one high plains drifter when clint eastwood comes into the town of lago when he's riding into town, and there are townspeople staring at him from you know decks and you know porches and whatnot, and just looking at him coming in suspiciously and whatnot, very Western style trope to deliver. As for the crate dragon, well, first of all, we saw a skeleton of a crate dragon in a New Hope naturally, so it ties back to that. And the fact that it can swim under the sand is a you know tie to both Tremors that uh, 1990 sort of horror spoofy kind of movie and also dune which was an inspiration for george lucas as well with the sandworms that can burrow and move around underneath the sand later on when Cobb vanth and the mandalorian go to see where the um where the crate dragon is living they are riding on speeders, and it looks like, suspiciously, <laughs> like the speeder that Cobb Vanth is using is one where a sidecar is basically attached to a pod racing engine, and darned if that pod racing engine doesn't look like one of young Anakin Skywalker's pod racing engines. Then later, when they go with the Tusken Raiders for the first time to the Crate Dragon's lair, they stake out a Bantha for the Crate Dragon to eat, and that's very reminiscent of The goat bait scene in Jurassic Park where they stake out the goat for the Tyrannosaurus rex to eat. And... It mysteriously disappears because, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on and nobody actually sees him eat the thing. But they kind of turn this one on its head by staking out the Bantha and instead it's the Tusken Raider that gets eaten. Uh, Going back, one I forgot to tell you about in the flashback for what happened with the Mining Collective. First of all, I've been trying and I'm not completely successful yet at decoding what the Arabesh is on the news broadcast with the hologram of the Death Star blowing up. But what I have gotten is that it says on a new armored space station even, and then there's other words cycling around. I haven't decoded the whole thing yet, but it's coming across. So there's that. And then when Cobb Vanth in Mandalorian armor starts taking on the Mining Collective and driving them out, His tilting over and launching of the rocket from his backpack, that has to be a note about the fact that Boba Fett is supposed to be able to do that. The action figure originally was supposed to do that, and then of course, because that was considered a safety thing, it wasn't able to do that when it came out, but it sure seems like a wink and a nod to that idea. Later on, going back to the thread chronologically of the story, when the... Townspeople and the Banthas go to face the crate Dragon once and for all. The Banthas are riding in single file to hide their numbers, which is good fun. And during the fight, the Mandalorian gives a whack at the jetpack of Cobb Vanth which sends him flying out of control which is definitely a wink and a nod to Boba Fett's backpack getting whacked by Han Solo. Boba Fett where? Boink! And sending him crazy flying too. Then there's the thing about blowing up the crate Dragon from the inside. This is shown up I guess in movies and comics and anime and stuff like that. I think a reasonably well known example would be in Men in Black when Will Smith gets swallowed by a bug for example um there's you know almost a tie back to the exogorth and the millennium falcon being swallowed by it except they're not blowing it up obviously and i guess in tremors if i'm not terribly mistaken the way that they blew up these graboids which were the the worms that were underneath the sand was by putting explosives into them a couple more things about the crate dragon and then we will be done first of all if you've ever wondered which would win in a fight, the Crate Dragon versus the Sarlacc, well, we have our answer from this episode. It is the Crate Dragon because it has taken over a Sarlacc pit, and the only way it could have done that is if it ate the Sarlacc. But one of the things that's being debated about online is whether this is the Sarlacc pit where we saw the climactic Jabba the Hutt battle in Return of the Jedi, and I have to say... You know, I suppose it's possible, but the geography around that Sarlacc pit in The Mandalorian versus the geography around the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi, it doesn't look the same. It looks like rockier and more canyon-like around this one in The Mandalorian than it did in Return of the Jedi. That one looked very much more Dune-like and open sands and whatnot. So, I mean, I suppose we could find out something different, but... At this point, at least for me, it does not seem like it's the same Sarlacc pit, and there's more than one Sarlacc on Tatooine. So, yeah, yeah, there's that. And then, finally, when the Tusken Raiders are digging into the dead Crate Dragon and they find that giant round thing, not an egg, it's a pearl. It's a pearl in the stomach of a crate Dragon, which is very rare, very valuable, and if I'm reading Wikipedia right, it only would have formed if... It had been inside of a rock that the crate Dragon ate that had a kyber crystal in the rock. From the stuff I read, it sounds like they eat rocks to help with their digestion, but that if they eat a rock that contains a kyber crystal, that the acids in their body work on that and basically polish it and refine it. And... That one seems pretty darn big, so I don't think it could be used in a lightsaber, but apparently, according to Wikipedia, they can be used in lightsabers, and they create this bizarre howling sound when activated. This is due to a a book called Gadgets and Gear, or something like that, so... That's that. Now, I hinted at something about The Mandalorian earlier that I said I would follow up on, and I'm going to do that in just a second. Before I do, though, this is just sort of a public service announcement thing. Election Day in the U.S. is on Tuesday, November 3rd, and I've seen so many different websites advertised talking about where to go vote and making a plan to vote and all that, and I don't even know if I feel comfortable recommending one or another or over the other. I suppose... Probably one of the safe ways to do it is if you know that you're going to vote Democrat or you know that you're going to vote Republican, probably you could go to the website for Biden or the website for Trump and find voting information through them. But I'm going to recommend that you check with your city or town's clerk's office, your town clerk, your tax collector, or your secretary of state's office, and look for voting information there. I think it's important to vote in general, but I do think... Like a lot of the talk has been going on, that this may be one of the most important votes in our lifetimes. And so please, please do not stay on the sidelines. Please vote. And if you are trying to submit absentee ballots or mail-in ballots, at this point it's probably too late for the post office to deliver them, so see if you can deliver them in person to your local town clerk, tax collector, who it is, whoever it is that is handling that for you. Look online for your city or town and good luck and stay safe. So, the thing about The Mandalorian, the door that's sort of been opened and hasn't yet been walked through, is the fact that if he says he spent a lot of time on Tatooine, well, what does that actually mean? I mean, for example, we know that he was rescued by Death Watch on a planet that has nothing to do with Tatooine. We know that he was brought up in the Fighting Corps. We know that eventually Tatooine fell victim to the Empire. And we know there was a great purge. We know that Mandalorians were on the run. But we don't know when he went to Tatooine. The fact that he spent a lot of time on Tatooine suggests that there was a covert there at one point, And he was certainly surprised to find out that there was a Mandalorian there. And he never thought that there were. So does that mean that there had been a covert that eventually left at some point? Or is it a situation where he was on his own for a while... And, you know, somehow managed to eventually go to Navarro and hook up with the Mandalorian covert there. Still a lot of unanswered questions, but as a result, Tatooine now becomes more important to the story of the Mandalorian himself. And therefore is probably becoming more important for the Mandalorian, the series. And so that ominous shot of Boba Fett at the end of the episode, well, maybe that means that we haven't seen the last of Tatooine Or the lost (laughs) of Boba Fett either. And that is going to do it for our look at a couple of dozen secret references and tropes and Easter eggs from Season 2, Episode 1, The Marshall, Chapter 9 of The Mandalorian. And that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be.